Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Hail Yes, a Detroit Free Press podcast about University of Michigan athletics. I'm Tony Garcia, Michigan beat writer for the Freep. I'm joined by my colleague, my buddy, Reiner Sabin. He's our Big Ten insider, and we record this as uh, I'm sitting on the third floor of our Courtyard Marriott here in La Vista, Nebraska, uh, somewhere along I-80 with Omaha and Lincoln. Reiner, a few floors above me, somewhere up there, I believe on the sixth floor. I'm sure there's a metaphor in there somewhere. Uh, Reiner, how, how's it going up there? It's going well. I mean, I'm uh, I'm living the life up here in uh, the Courtyard in La Vista. <laughs> you, got, you got another... another- Another good breakfast sandwich today, I hope. Uh, breakfast bowl. Uh, oh, breakfast, yeah, that is what said. Yeah, Potatoes and eggs. and It was actually pretty good. Uh, okay. not, no complaints there. Good, good. You know who else is not complaining today? Uh, anybody affiliated with the Michigan football program after a 45-7 to beatdown. Uh, and beatdown might not even be a strong enough phrase uh, of Nebraska yesterday in Lincoln. That is why we are out here uh, in in the beautiful Corn State. It's not just because we uh, like the Great Plains. Um, and so, lots to get into uh, about yesterday. Really, Michigan's most thorough showing. Uh, so, in the A block, we want to talk about it. Michigan's complete game uh, as, as one of our three thoughts. Their run game. Clearly fine. Nebraska had the number one statistical run defense. Uh, Michigan made short work of that. And then uh, you had a nice piece on uh, Michigan's expectation of that we we will win now as opposed to we can win now. Trevor Keegan's comments, Braden McGregor, um, and another dominant road game to to sort of start their march uh, is sort of where we'll where we'll go with that. Then after the break, um, we 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 scan it out big picture five weeks in. Uh, I mean, people were asking yesterday, Michigan players post game, what would you think about being number one, right, Reiner, after Georgia struggled with Auburn? So it is that time of year. There you are starting to build a body of work and and you're looking a little more than just outside your walls. At least we are. Michigan might not be, but we are. Yeah, I mean, uh, the you know, again, Michigan took care of business. They look like the elite team that many expected them to be. Heading into the season, everything seemed to come together against the Cornhuskers on on Saturday, uh, right from the get go, and continued onward uh, through the end of the game. Yeah, and we're going to get into that in one minute after I ask you about the atmosphere, uh, just because I because I think that's that was part of the uh, part of that of that game story, right? Um, with of this steamrolling, we were built up. Uh, I mean, I had never been to Nebraska before. I believe this is your first trip as well. And I mean, a lot of the players were talking about uh, how Nebraska has been their favorite atmosphere, the night game from 2021 that they've seen. And I think I can only chalk it up to Michigan taking the wind out of their sails that quickly because, I mean, they were 
nobody was going at, at, at all um, from what we could see. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it was uh, – I thought the atmosphere was kind of bland overall. Even pregame, you know, before Michigan kind of asserted its dominance, uh, it just seemed like nobody was that uh, enthused about about the game. You just didn't feel the pulse uh, outside the stadium at all. It's almost as if Nebraska fans were were expecting this kind of result, knowing the quality of the team uh, in Matt Rule's first season. Uh, and I guess they've come to expect to be disappointed at the, you know, by now, uh, the days of the nineties Huskers and, uh, even decades before under Tom Osborne, uh, you know, those, those days are long, long gone. And, uh, this program looks like they're just kind of a middle of the pack, big 10 team, uh, and have been since they're, they entered the conference. And so it's just, it's just more of the same from Nebraska's standpoint. And, uh, you know, maybe that's affecting the atmosphere, but it wasn't that impressive to me. Right, right. And, and I guess Trevor Keegan did say on the first snap, Michigan had to go silent count because it was a little loud. But then from there it was, I mean, that is that is what most road teams do in in, in most road environments. So that's not uh, unique, certainly when, when, when the noise gets up. But, I mean, as we keep saying, the reason, the reason it never got too loud is Michigan snuffed it out. Uh, from from the beginning, forty five to seven. It started with uh, with an opening eleven play, seventy five yard drive. Uh, um, Roman Wilson just, I mean, maybe. I mean, Cornelius Johnson had a circus catch a few weeks ago, sort of bobbling, juggling uh, against Bowling Green. That one is, was a little more. Hey, look what I found. Roman Wilson will be on. You got lost on on Monday. I mean, just going up and over. I think it was Gifford, one of Nebraska's actual better def- defensive backs for for the opening touchdown. Uh, then two plays in on defense. Braden McGregor bats a ball. Uh, big KG Kenneth Grant uh, com- comes down with it. Uh, I think I heard that they sang for he's a jolly good fellow to him in the locker room afterwards. I'm not sure why, uh, but um, I mean they. they they love when the big guys uh, get get involved. That's the second big man pick in a few weeks, uh, and it was just an onslaught from there. Yeah, I mean, it was just a, a complete domination. Again, Michigan was playing well in all three phases, uh, um, particularly on offense and defense. Uh, I think they really controlled things from the get go, especially with their run game. I mean, that was the question: Was Nebraska's you know top five run defense going to be able to stop? you know, Michigan's ground attack. And there were some, you know, concerns about Michigan and whether the road game, I mean, the run game would travel because uh, they looked shaky at times during the lead up to this game. I mean, with the with the offensive line. And although some of those questions obviously were resolved in the Rutgers performance, uh, but that opening drive really kind of set the tone. I mean, they just really ran right at them, were able to create push at the line of scrimmage. Uh, then obviously JJ McCarthy throws the the crazy twenty nine yard pass with the amazing catch by uh, Roman Wilson. I mean, even in that that pass, even before the pass blocking, I mean Nebraska had no chance at <laughs> at uh, getting to McCarthy all game. And you know the athleticism of Michigan was so much greater than than Nebraska too. And that was evident on the first first drive, and then obviously you got the the pick off the tip to uh, you know the tip pass uh, by Brady McGregor. Kenneth Grant comes down with it. Then three plays later, 
uh, Kalel Williams runs for 20 yards uh, uh, and scores, and it's 14 to nothing, 7.15 left in the first quarter. And, you know, nobody was expecting Nebraska to come back at that point. Uh, I mean, basically, the, the tone of the game had been set, and Michigan was going to go on to win that game. Yeah, there was any doubt that if what little hope there was before the game, it felt like lasted for not even a minute, which is perhaps why the the atmosphere may, may have let us down, certainly didn't let the Michigan players down. And you were talking about the level of athlete, uh, and that certainly stood out to me as well, because it wasn't just J.J. McCarthy going off and Blake Corum going off, right? Like, And, I mean, yes, Roman Wilson had a couple touchdowns, but mm-hmm. and J.J. and Blake had very nice games. But it was not just Michigan's super, super, superstars, right? Uh, it was uh, Ladarius Henderson having a very nice day sliding in at left tackle uh, when Miles Hinton um, he was listed as questionable on the pregame report. We saw him uh, warming up. Uh, I don't know if he couldn't go or just w- w- what the decision was. But there, I mean, Josiah Stewart uh, on on defense, uh, really his first two sacks as uh, as a Michigan player. Uh, Keon Sab, who sort of who started for Rod Moore, who did come in, but Sab rot- rotated in the game. Uh, I mean, he had another five tackles just on and on uh, down. And and then you mentioned Kyle Mullings, uh, who to me was in some ways the, the the story of the game, which we'll get to in, in just a minute about the, the run game. But when we I just wrap up the big picture, complete game, I mean, Reiner, there were no penalties. There mm. were no turnovers, not a single penalty committed. It's mm. just as clean as can be. Yeah, it was it was well. I mean, well executed from start to finish. Uh, you know, the the players were on point. Uh, the again, the execution was pristine. Uh, Michigan looked like for the first time, really, the number two team in the country. They looked like a college football playoff team. Uh, you know, the, the, these kind of teams. I mean, the the standard is so high and. They, they have to execute at a high level from a week-in, week-out basis, regardless of the opponent they're facing. They're not, you know, Michigan, for the first time this season, really didn't play down to the competition. They just played their game, and Nebraska was just left in the dust. And I thought that was the most impressive thing uh, about this game, was just how well they, they execute from start to finish. And you, you, know, you alluded to no penalties is a perfect indication of that. I mean, you know, they could have... They could have let the foot off the gas pedal. You know, even when the backups came in, they could have uh, maybe slacked a little bit. And even the second unit was able to execute pretty, pretty well. Uh, you know, given their limitations too. I mean, but the, but again, the actual play-to-play uh, performance was pretty impressive across the board. Yeah, I mean, Jim Harbaugh said it post game. He said no one was loafing. I, be- I believe was yeah, was the right. word he said and. I, it, I can't believe we haven't mentioned it all, all, almost 10 minutes in. If it was not for a busted 74-yard run with four minutes and 17 seconds left in the game, Michigan had Nebraska 45 nothing, which would have been the first shutout since 1996. Arizona State shut Nebraska out in 1996. So 343 games, uh, the fifth longest active streak, the seventh longest streak for any team in the history of college football. So, I mean, what Michigan's defense was inches, like one busted play from their secondary or their second string away from doing, uh, I mean, 
something very, very historic. Uh, so, so that is the level uh, of domination that, that we were talking about. Um, and then on the other side, just, yes, it was a big run from Nebraska that, that, that took away from that. Michigan did not have any big, big run. However, they will take this rushing effort eight days out of the week, 51 carries, 249 yards, three scores on the ground. McCarthy gets in, Mullings gets in, Corum gets in, uh, and Nebraska had not had given up 186 total rushing yards through four weeks. Michigan passed that midway through the third quarter, right now, by themselves. Yeah, I mean the, uh, the again the questions about whether the the running game was going to be as strong this year um, maybe resolved. I mean, again, I, I don't know what the quality of really Nebraska's run defense is based on the opponents that they played prior to Michigan. However. Michigan in the last two games has kind of recreated that identity that they've had the last two years where they've been able to kind of impose their will on opponents with their running game and then play off of it with McCarthy. I mean, he's, you know, he only threw 16 passes. They didn't need to throw the ball very much, but when they did, they were extremely effective. And part of that was because of the running game. Uh, And I mean, again, this offensive line, also looks very solid in pass protection. Uh, you know, again, like J.J. McCarthy was never really <laughs> affected by any pressure by Nebraska. And so, uh, and that, that's kind of been the story of the, the first few weeks. I mean, some wondered if this offensive line was built better for for passing, I mean, and, and was more equipped for pass protection than, than straight up run blocking. But, you know, they may be able to do both pretty well. Maybe they're more... Uh, versatile than the offensive lines of the past two years. I mean, just and and more balanced in the ability to both pass protect and run block. And so, uh, again, the the questions about the running game have kind of have been resolved in the last two weeks. I think that Michigan's kind of rediscovered that that identity and that physical physicality uh, that they need to to kind of grind opponents into the dust. Yeah, and. And Michigan's done it. I mean, without a hundred yard game from Blake Corum, right? Uh, I mean, right. yesterday, 16 carries, 71 yards and a touchdown. Uh, if you had that, you would not think that, oh, Michigan's ground game got going. But he didn't. I mean, Corum scored midway through the third and they didn't have to put another t- like carry on his bot. Um, and so it was just it's really exactly what you wanted if you were Michigan. And here is what really struck me about. About the week before, uh, it was J.J. McCarthy running seven times, 51 yards, uh, and just getting out on the edges and having to keep the defense honest, which opened mm-hmm. one element. And the other element uh, for me is that Kalel Mullings is an actual battering ram. I mean, I think he's the new person on Michigan I would least like to tackle. And that goes with, like, Kenneth Grant because like, yes, he's a hundred pounds bigger, but I think he's so big. You just dive at his ankles, right? Like there's a little strategy there and he might not be able to hurdle you. Kamel Mullings might actually pile drive you into the earth. I mean, I've, I, <laughs> the, the ferocity with which he runs is so impressive. And yesterday, I mean, to say he made the most of his five touches is an understatement. Uh, his first run, you mentioned it, 20 yard touchdown run on third and one. After that, Reiner, he had four more touches on mm-hmm. third and one, third and two, third and four, 
and fourth and one. So four short yardage down distance situations. He ran for six yards, five yards, five yards, and six yards and converted all four first downs. So for me, the Michigan running game story of this day is if it is not Blake Corum in a crucial down and distance situation, Kalam Mullings has earned that that short yardage role. Uh, five for five yesterday cannot do better than that. Yeah, Mullings received the second best grade by Pro Football Focus uh, uh, off the game. Uh, again, he's uh, he's a, a guy that. Uh, it's shown some versatility. He played defense and um, has come back to the offensive side. Uh, he was versatile as a high school recruit, uh, playing both sides. So, um, you know, he's just one of those kind of uh, utility players for Michigan and somebody that, you know, Jim Harbaugh typically likes uh, to have. Um, and uh, he's, he's reliable in the sense that he will get you those yards and he's shown some burst. Uh, you know, he had the one mishap, obviously, in the college football playoff. Uh, and but you know, it's not something that obviously was uh, part of a trend with Kalel Mullins. I mean, this this and, is and more that, this is more indicative of what his kind of performance has been. And that felt as much on the exchange as anything, exactly, right? exactly. which can yeah. be a product of just reps. I mean, he had repped right. at linebacker forever. You are not putting that right. ball in that same pocket. Like how many times has JJ sure. handed it to the Absolutely, yeah, so, yeah, and, yeah, and no. he's, he, yeah, he, he's a, he's a solid, solid player. I mean, he's one of those guys that you know, good football teams have. I mean, we're um, he, he's dependable um, and uh, kind of is uh, is just one of those guys that uh, you can turn to in a pinch, and he's going to probably deliver. It, it seems that way, and it seems as though <laughs> should. Blake Horm is obviously uh, the, the go-to back. I mean, he he very quietly leads the nation with nine rushing touchdowns. Roman Wilson, by the way, leads the country with eight receiving touchdowns uh, through five weeks. So, I mean, very, very like just some really good productivity uh, coming from the from those high-end guys. Uh, but with Corum scoring this much uh, on the ground, it means pretty much by definition others have not, uh, and someone who still has not gotten into the end zone. Uh, still not rushed for 50 yards in a game, uh, is Donovan Edwards. Uh, yesterday, 14 carries, 48 yards. Uh, early, Reiner, we we felt like we saw some signs. He had a nine-yard run. I think he had another eight-yard run. Uh, early on, Corm had six runs for 26. Dono had six for 24. I mean, you're I mean, you're really looking for signs, right? That that it's that it's coming. Um and it, but but it finished with 14 for 48. Uh, didn't have a carry over 10 yards, and just kind of another one 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 of those days for Donovan Edwards. And so I am to the point where I mean he's still so athletic and talented and dynamic. He can hit home runs. I still believe that. I mean that that ability has, he has not just lost it. Um, and and other defenses need to game plan around him. So I'm almost at the point where. It is continuing to work and get him the ball, but he had 14 carries and a reception. So 15 touches for 51 yards. I'm pretty sure 15 touches spread around the rest of the Michigan offense can get much more than 51 yards, Ryder. Um, <laughs> I mean, three, tar- think about it. Three targets to Colston Loveland, three to Roman, and then nine and then nine handoffs to, to Blake and Kalel and 
AJ on a read option. You're getting it. I, it's just, I, I don't know, Reiner. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching yeah, my head. Yeah, I'm no, no. Options. I agree. I think if the this is a tighter game and Nebraska posed much more of a threat, you would not have seen as many touches to Donovan Edwards. I don't think that they would have been as uh, I guess uh, liberal in in how they how they gave him uh, carries and and uh, targets uh, as much if this was a if this was a tight game because uh, they were trying. It seemed like they were trying to get some momentum for him and trying to get him to break out of this kind of uh, slump. And uh, he didn't really, he didn't really do that in this game. I mean, again, like, as you referenced, I mean, it looked like he was going to get, maybe get there in the early going, but uh, as the game wore on, you know, he didn't, he didn't kind of have that breakout moment or anything like that. Uh, 14 touches for 40, I mean, 14 carries for 48 yards. It's a, he had the you know the worst yards per carry average of you know the top three or you know players that uh, typically get carries for Michigan. So it just is not well, of of anyone yeah. of anyone on Michigan's team, even Tavier Dunlap. I mean, and obviously this is not apples to apples, but right. like four runs, four for fourteen in yeah. in mop up time is three point five, which is technically yeah. more. I mean, I'm not worried about three point five versus three point four. But right. it's I mean, Reiner, his his final seven runs of the day, uh, which started in the in the second quarter, this is from the nine fifteen mark of the second quarter to the five thirty eight of the third quarter, right? So this is not uh I mean I mean this is still the middle meat of the game. Zero yards, two yards, two yards, one yard. Four yards, four yards, two yards. Mm-hmm. And before that, it, his run before that was nine. The run before that was three. So one one run out of his final nine went for more than four yards. It's just that that's sort of telling the story right now. Yeah, it, it is strange. And uh, I mean, obviously, it's become a trend. So it is concerning for Michigan. Uh, luckily for them, they've got depth and uh, at that position and they have depth at the receiver position too. So uh, they can use him uh, as a change up at times and, and maybe incorporate him in sparingly. Uh, they don't have to rely on him and uh, that's probably good at the moment. Uh, and unfortunate for him. I mean, it just hasn't really come together for him this year as he was expecting. I mean, he was had very lofty expectations as we all know, uh, going into the season, and it just hasn't materialized. Yeah, and I, this might seem like a weird comparison, but I, but what it what it makes me think of uh, to last year is is Roman Wilson, another guy who just is, I mean, obviously a different position, electric with the ball in his hands, but just not consistent. I mean, so like at the end of last year, Roman Wilson against MSU, one catch minus three yards, no catches the next week, then one for 13 against Nebraska, one for nine against Illinois, one for no yards against Ohio state. I mean, did Roman Wilson just learn how to play football in the last 12 months? You know what I mean? I mean, and now he leads the nation in, t- in touchdowns. So um, the, the difference is, is that Roman will, I mean, this has been a gradual workup and he's also dependent on targets. Here they actually given the ball to Donovan Edwards, and he hasn't been doing much with it. And they've been giving yeah. him a lot of lot of run, and it's not and it's not worked out, you know, so far. But again, I'm, I'm I, trying to spin. I'm trying to spin zone it and, and a little bit, Reiner, and and just say that Michigan's offense in recent years 
I've seen very dynamic people who we thought would be more import, more involved, more or more necessary. I mean, last year Michigan was clamoring for receivers to to catch on, right? And this year, early on, Michigan is was searching and st- still sort of is. We think the run game is fine, but is searching for the run game to get going. Like Michigan could have really used Roman Wilson's more production last year. <laughs> Michigan can the, the same thing from Donovan. Uh, yeah, but but these are kind of first world problems as well. We'll oh, get certainly. into. Yeah, I mean these are, and, and this is the mark of a good team where you are quibbling about, <laughs> you know, whether the the second running back you know can really get going, and uh, where, when you actually have another running back who uh, is also giving you productive yards and productive carries and and such, and so uh, the. This is not something that's a huge major issue, I, I don't think, uh, right now. I mean, of course, they would love Donovan Edwards to play at the level that he did at the end of uh, the 2022 season last year. But at the same time, it's not the, the biggest deal in the world considering all the firepower they have elsewhere. I mean, you've got two high-quality tight ends with Loveland and Barner. You've got you know, a, a, an elite receiver or a person that looks like he's becoming an elite receiver with Roman Wilson. You can call Roman you got, an elite receiver. You, you got JJ McCarthy. Uh, you, you know, again, uh, a high level. Blake, that Blake Corum guy is pretty good. And, that, and then you got Blake Corum again, who was a Heisman contender before he got injured. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just it, it's an embarrassment of riches. And so, I mean, Donovan Edwards not you know, being productive is not the, is not the biggest deal in the world considering all the other uh, weapons that Michigan has in its arsenal. You're right. And it is because of all that depth that Michigan now has this mentality that Trevor Keegan was explaining to us post game uh, of the difference the last few years, which is sort of our, our last final thought as we wrap up this first block. Um, Michigan used to say we can win. Now Michigan says, Oh, we will win. Uh, And evidence suggests as much 30 and three, now, uh, across the past three seasons, there you couldn't be more confident uh, than this group. And But Jim Harbaugh uh, is very careful to say it is confident, not cocky. And, and, that, and that is important to them. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's no, yeah, he constantly refers to that there is zero entitlement. But again, the way that Michigan played on Saturday, where they were focused so much on the details and the execution. I mean, not committing a penalty is indicative of like the standard of what they're, what they're trying to accomplish, uh, you know, going forward. And uh, it's a mark again of a good team where, you know, they're not going to settle for just being good. They're, they're trying to be great and trying to be perfect. And, uh, you know, Trevor Keegan talked about the fact that, uh, you know, the big complacency was the biggest threat for Michigan going into the season. And he doesn't see much complacency with the players. There's a, there's a drive and there's a hunger still to get this thing done. And yeah, Harbaugh even talked about it. It's like, you know, this is a team that got it done uh, Saturday. And, it, and it's true. I mean, it, it looks like a professional team, a team that's handling its business and going about it and isn't concerned about, you know, the the team across the way and they don't think they can just take it for granted they, you know they're they're trying to reach their standard and you know I, I thought it was a very encouraging sign uh after watching that game just just because they knew that they were probably going to win the game 
but they still went out and played their style of football and executed at an extremely high level. Yeah, which is why I wanted to ask that question to Jim, because we do this, right? We talk about it, we dissect it, we analyze it, mm-hmm. um, we think about it. But really what matters is them, what they're doing, what they're thinking, how they're planning, how they're uh, preparing. And as Michigan continues uh, its onslaught, uh, I mean, they're going to beat Minnesota probably again next week by 30, 40, whatever. Uh, same with Indiana the week after. Um, it's just, I, I like. I wanted to ask Jim, like, what what do you remember about these weeks, right? Like, what do you learn about these weeks? And it's not, and it's just Michigan learn. It's it sounds cliche, but learning about itself. And 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 you said the line that like we get it done. That's what that's what Michigan learned again. We get it done. It's not, and, and maybe it's not learning. It's just proving it. And we're gonna we're gonna talk about it on the on the other side of the break. Um, don't scoff. Nobody should scoff at proving it week in and week out. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and uh, again, this is a program that's faced average teams before. I mean, this is prior to this, this recent resurgence of the, of the program where they, they did struggle. They, I mean, they had to fight off Indiana at times. They, uh, you know, they didn't put away army in, in 2019. Uh, they're at a point where, you know, again, they're, they're just dominating these teams and, you know, beating them by, three touchdowns or more and even in a performance like against Bowling Green where it, it was sloppy uh, and that that was not anywhere close to what the standard is at Michigan these days and yet they still won by 25 and it's it's indicative of again of a program that's kind of operating at a very high level week in and week out and kind of has found its formula uh, to win so I think I think it's encouraging to see Michigan reach this level where they're, they're not leaving any doubt about who's, you know, whether they're the best team on the field that day. Well said. And we're going to leave it there because on the other side of the break, we will expand on that because as Michigan has done that and continues to do that, not everybody is. So where does Michigan fit in this greater landscape? And uh, what are, what are we thinking about college football through five weeks? Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, welcome back, Reiner. Michigan, we just talked about it in uh, pretty lengthy detail, a 45-7 to victory over Nebraska. Uh, one of the things I wrote about this morning was about the seemingly, and it happens every year, the, the moving goalposts, right? Um, so Michigan did not overwhelm in the, in the non-conference. Actually, technically, they did not even cover the Vegas spread in any of those three games. But those of us who were paid to watch it and watch all the snaps, whether we want to or not, in the end, um, I, I mean, when you're playing second string, third string guys, true freshmen, uh, walk-ons in the fourth quarter, uh, j- just for reps, obviously the stats are 
are, are not going to, 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 to really be there. Um, but now when you are playing your start, well, I mean, I guess as it turns out, they did pull their starters midway through the third quarter this time, but just because they were, were, were dominating so much and they were still able to run it up, Michigan was. And so I just want to talk with you about uh, the perception of these continually moving goalposts for Michigan. At first, it was do it like the non-con wasn't enough. It was do it against the Big Ten team. Then they hammer Rutgers, and it's like, oh well, that's just Rutgers. Even if Rutgers is better at four and one, it's that was just Rutgers at home. Then it became do it on the road. Michigan goes on the road, annihilates Nebraska, and um, I mean Nebraska is not a good team, but as you are about to detail for us, good teams go and play not good teams on the road and struggle all the time. So don't take it for granted when you hammer someone. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think it's, uh, you know, it should be contextualized by the fact that uh, you know, Georgia struggled against Auburn, barely squeaked that one out. Uh, that was also on the road. Uh, Their you know, first US- road game of the year. Exactly. And USC had to uh, sweat it out against Colorado at the end. I mean, the the defense was a sieve again. And um uh, looked very shaky towards the end against Colorado as they uh, weathered a comeback from them. Uh, LSU lost to Ole Miss, and basically their, their chances at the college football playoff um, are done. So, uh, again, I mean, Michigan winning by these, again, uh, a huge margin should not be, just because it's Nebraska, should not be just kind of sloughed off as uh, – uh, some kind of small event. I mean, I, I think it, uh, the fact that they did perform at such a high level, again, not committing a penalty, not committing turnover, uh, being able to assert itself uh, and impose its will with its running game, uh, play its style of football at a very high level uh, is indicative of a very strong team and a team that is, again, gearing up for another run to the college football playoff uh, and will put themselves in contention. And what's so important is to be able to do it week in and week out, right? Th- that, that consistency and ability to travel on the road. It's easy to get up uh, when you are when you're at home and you, and you have your whole crowd and the night lights and, and, and everything. It's different on a sleepy afternoon at Jordan Hare or whatever. And I mean, I wasn't very sleepy in Auburn with Georgia coming, but you know what I mean? And that can happen at Purdue or it can happen at Northwestern with Penn State, right? They were just, I mean, they ended up hammering Northwestern, but they were down 10-3 late in the first half. I mean, they had to sort of wake up. And um, and even, even Florida State, who uh, who I do have, like they're in two and three with, with Michigan in, in, in my rankings. Uh, and, and I have Florida State a little higher because they have the mo- some of the most impressive wins, neutral field against LSU at Clemson, right? Those very impressive travel and do it wins, but they also survived Boston college by two points. And if Boston college, I I was watching the end of that game, Boston college committed their program worst 18th penalty to give Florida state an automatic first down, move the chains and, 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 and ice the game. So even with, with that, like a bad Boston college team, who's two and three uh, pushed, one of the most elite, talented teams uh, in, in in America. So, Reiner, where where does Michigan fit? I mean, I th- I, again, I think they're a, you know, a top five level team. I mean, I don't know where do they fall in the ranking. It's so hard to assess because college football 
it's such a regional sport where you, you know you're basically uh, trying to it's not for long. It's not it, well, right? Exactly with the way that it's, it's changing. But I mean, again, it's hard to assess because you know these teams do not play uniform schedules. It's not the NFL uh, and such. And so uh, every year, I mean, you don't know what conference is real and what isn't uh i mean is the pac-12 really as strong as it looks i mean who knows uh in years past it wasn't and so uh and the sec was the strong conference they look weak this year but are they really that weak or are they just uh yeah i guess maybe kind of working through some things i mean alabama like again we we look at alabama everybody was looking at that south florida game uh as indicative of the of a program that's really fallen off They've since come back and won two games, and uh, rather impressively, I mean, they beat Ole Miss and Ole Miss beat LSU, and and then they they uh, took care of business against Mississippi State. And um, what, what, why I'm re- referencing that is that yeah, they looked bad at at uh, for a couple weeks there against Texas and South Florida. Michigan really hasn't. I mean, even when they looked maybe less than you know, stellar at times, they've still won by a significant margin. They they were never threatened and they've raised the standard of play where again, you're quibbling with the, the minor details and you want your program to be like that. You want it to be at that level where you're nitpicking. Uh, I mean, I alluded to that. That's what Nebraska was like in the nineties. I mean, they were, they were at that standard where the fans demanded excellence and they got it. And the fans for Michigan are like that now where they're, is they're kind of uh, pointing out they're not winning by you know three touchdowns they should win by four and you know Jim Harbaugh saying like we only want to win by one point when in reality Michigan does want to dominate and they do want to impose their will and they they should I mean they're, they're that's a program that has reached a point where they can do that and uh, again it's but at the same time it's college football these guys are eighteen to twenty two year olds they're not necessarily going to be able to create that consistent level of performance week in and week out. Uh, and so it shouldn't be taken for granted what Michigan did against Nebraska, where they dominated from start to finish. Yeah. Even when it looks like it's something you should do uh, because, because we, we not happen all the time. Uh, and I mean, it, ju- it just gets me thinking uh, about down the road and like looking at, at Michigan's schedule and, and that end to it, right? I mean, I know I know we're getting ahead of ourselves, but at Penn State, at Maryland, uh, home Ohio State. I, I mean, I, I just put Maryland uh, for for what it's worth. I for the first time just slid them at number twenty five uh, at the bottom of my AP poll. Five and zero. Michael Oxley's team has looked quite good um, mo- most of the time. They, I mean, they just steamrolled uh, Indiana, and so I, I mean, I mean, just it's. Michigan is going to be able to prove a lot late, late in the season. And again, I don't know how many times we can say it. Uh, as frustrated as we and the fans and many people may be about the schedule, the players do not create it and just go in. Yeah, and again, the the stand, Michigan is playing at a point where they're, they're, they've got a standard that they want to reach and they're being assessed against their own standard. They're not, they're not by... They're not playing necessarily uh, assessing themselves against the other team. Uh, certainly, they weren't against Nebraska. They're they're playing. They're trying to you know, they're trying to kind of compete against 
their own standard. And so uh, you're you're like an inch away from their from their main line. The standard yeah. is the standard. That's what right. right? I mean, we've right. heard him say it time. You're you're exact. You're exactly right. They, I mean, they they only measure themselves. They are at that point. They only measure themselves against themselves. Yeah, and it's a good it's a good mindset. I mean, that's what again. I when, when I covered Alabama for the first three years, that's how they they played. I mean, they were playing to the other team standard. They were playing to their own. They had high high expectations. They wanted to execute at, at a near perfect level. Uh, you know, they even JJ McCarthy alluded to after the game uh, that they they're going to go back at the film and they'll probably find something that they weren't satisfied with and they'll try to correct it. And that's again what the best teams do. And so, uh, I mean, I think it's good that Michigan is being held to that that standard and that they are interested in achieving it. And uh, if the fans also believe that they should get there. And then, you know, that's also good too. Cause I, again, the program has arrived at that point. Uh, and so, uh, but it shouldn't be taken for granted again, that, that Michigan, the way that they played and the, who they, I mean, despite the opponent and Nebraska being a weak team, the fact that they uh, performed at such a, such a high level. I'm with you. Is there, is there anything else, anyone else, from around college uh, football that, that that you want to touch on. This was, I mean, for, for me, just, I mean, as, as we as we look at this bigger picture, doing this poll was, I, mean, I don't know if frustrating is, is quite the right word, but I mean, Ohio State was on a bye. Uh, you had Washington State, Miami, North Carolina, all not, all not playing. Um, then, then Duke, I, I, like, like, well, I, I didn't know what to do with Duke. I, I still I still fully fully believe in Duke. I mean, I mean Duke Notre Dame like transitive property Ohio State Notre Dame Duke right like not transitive properties not how football works but I mean they are right right there and they were uh, I mean they were leading Notre Dame. Oh, but, but Riley, Riley Riley Leonard got hurt and that, that'll change yeah. things. Yeah, that'll change things significantly. Depends on the severity. I mean, do yeah. we know how, how yeah. serious? I don't. It is I don't it? know. It looked. It looked bad, but we don't. We don't know. I mean, for sure. But if if he is hurt, I mean, obviously all bets are off. It'd be the same thing if you know JJ McCarthy got hurt. I mean, you know, uh, <laughs> a high level quarterback is everything in college football, or really at any level of the sport. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see uh, how they progress and whether they can still. Uh, stay in contention in the ACC. I mean, uh, again, the Pac-12 looks like it's going to be a dogfight, but Oregon looks like the clear, the clear best team in that, in that conference. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I th- I do see it slowly starting to separate the Pac-12. Oregon at the top. I think Utah right below. Washington State and Oregon State. I would also put at that same level. With USC, I think, uh, I mean, USC, I now have at 10 in my rankings after not impressing again against uh, again, against Colorado. And they can end uh, Look, I mean, Caleb Williams is fantastic. He's amazing. Um, he, he is on the track. I mean, they need to win enough for him to push for, to be the first person since Archie Griffin for that second straight Heisman, right? Uh, but he's talented enough to do it. And he's having the start to the season where... He's in consideration as we knew he would be. There's not enough on on defense. There's just not. 
They, yeah. they miss tackles. There's no discipline. I mean, it is not an elite defensive team. And that, and that can't, and that cannot sustain when you're talking about the schedule. Like you said, I mean, not only do they have to play the Pac 12, they have a game against Notre Dame at Notre yeah. Dame. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, they got to play Oregon. They got to play Utah. They got to play Notre Dame. They got to play Washington. They could lose all four of those games. Absolutely. And I think Oregon and Washington are probably the class of, oh, I, I forgot Washington. Uh, uh, of the Pac 12. But I, I would give Oregon just a slight edge just because I, you know, side with the fact that their defense, their defense, is very strong and they're led by a defensive coach. And so I'll, you know, out there, I think, you know, that kind of gives them a little bit of an edge, just like, you know, Utah is able to kind of uh, remain at the top despite the talent differential in part because they're so strong defensively. And so, uh, so yeah. So yeah. But the reason uh, it's Oregon, sorry, sorry, Reiner, but the reason it's Oregon is because they have more offense than Utah. I know Cam Rising. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, their offense is still strong. Uh, maybe not as strong as Washington's, but their defense is probably the class uh, of the Pac-12. And then, uh, you know, the Big 12, I mean, it's going to be interesting. Obviously, Texas and OU play this week. Uh, that should be – I think OU's become, again, embraced Benevoles' identity. They, they're becoming much more – much stronger from a defensive standpoint than they were under Lincoln Riley. Uh, and uh, the kind of identity of the program has shifted much more balanced. Uh, they still have Dylan Gabriel at quarterback. So I'll be curious to see how that shakes out. And I mean, I don't know what, what, what the SEC is going to look like. I mean, Georgia does not look as strong as they did and they, you know, they they'll play Kentucky. I, I, I think that matchup is actually coming up uh, too. And so, uh, and Kentucky looks pretty formidable themselves, and so I think that could actually pose a lot of problems for Georgia. Uh, the you know, and and uh, out west, I mean, who knows what's going to happen with the SEC West? I mean, uh, I mean, who Alabama may end up coming out of it, uh, you know, on top, which would be kind of funny because a lot of people have written them off after the um, uh, Texas loss and then the really poor performance against South Florida. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, the college football seems very wide open. It seems like a year where Michigan can really, uh, yeah, has a real shot at the national title uh, if, if they can continue to kind of build the momentum that they have. Yeah, Georgia plays Kentucky this week, uh, so we will get yeah, that yeah. answer soon. Oklahoma okay. is at Texas. It's Red River. I mean, it's a Red River, so it's in Dallas. So it's right. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I forgot. I forgot. So, um, is, is that how long has that only been a neutral site game? That's that's terrible. That's always been. It's a, a, a like as as far as I know, it's always been a, forever, a, always. Yeah, I mean, Texas, like, Oklahoma has never been at home. I'm pretty sure it's uh, it's always been at the Cotton Bowl. So. You know, they don't, they don't even, they haven't even moved it to the Jerry. Well, no, I mean, it's not really not because it's three hours uh, and they have huge alumni bases in Dallas. So uh, three and a half hours from like, I, I, don't, bring, don't bring your logic into this. This is passion. And yeah. wouldn't you want the, your main rival on your campus? Well, I mean, the, I mean you know, imagine again, if Michigan and Ohio State well, played Alabama, Toledo every year. Well, Alabama and Auburn played in Birmingham. You know, that's why it was called the Iron Bowl. Uh, and so, um, but now they, 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 they didn't. They didn't move. They didn't move it to cam- campus until 
I think 89 was the first year that they they did that after uh and then uh, and then they finally a full time moved it to each individual campus but I mean you've had four to Georgia that's played in Jacksonville uh, I'm I'm not opposed to one off like to moving it off campus at, at times but and I and I know and I know you're right. I know the day this game is frequently. I, I agree. I, I, never, I never realized that it was always neutral site. That's yeah. that's I don't like that. I don't like it. Yeah, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge neutral site fan either. But uh, yeah, again, a lot of these rivalry games have been set up that way, uh, going back uh, years and years and decades and decades. And so um, you know, it just is what it is. I mean, it's part of the college football. Tradition. I mean, it's like, you know, again, it's that's what makes the sport different than the NFL. I mean, you don't have <laughs> home and homes, you know, with your divisional opponent, so to speak. It's uh, sometimes it's at a neutral site. Yeah. Well, as always, it'll be fun. Uh, and we're going to keep getting uh, th- this clarity week by week, one by one. Um, we will be back uh, on when we will record Wednesday for Thursday preview uh how michigan will beat minnesota and then again on sunday we'll we'll talk about how they did that um and, and then we'll i think it i think it's good to now that we're this far along rider to keep it we, we've got to keep it in context of everything else and so i i think is this is sort of the the best way to continue to do that so i'm gonna let you go uh and i'm gonna let everyone go uh, because this is the end of the show now. As I say, thank you to uh, to, to so many people who make it possible. Uh, Editor-in-Chief, Nicole Avery Nichols. Executive Editor, Anjanette Delgado. Sports Editor, Kirkland Crawford. Audio Engineer, Robin Chan. Our Sports Editor and our show's producer, Andrew Burkle. And uh, for everybody who is listening along and the kind people of Nebraska. And uh, and at this uh, Marriott Courtyard La Vista, who uh, let us have an extended stay so we could record this. So thank you, one and all. We'll talk to you soon. This is Haley Yes. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.